Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hey kids, howdy, and welcome to this week's episode of Conscious Embodiment, Astrology and Dreams with Dr. Michael Lennox. That is me. I am your host. And we are talking about January 22nd through the 28th. And as ever, I like to start with a question. Thanks for for keeping them coming, kids. And I really was looking forward to answering this question because it's uh it speaks to something that that is a, like a misnomer in astrology, which is the idea of cusps, which is not a thing. Um, so let me, let me explain that in how I answer Jennifer's question. So let's start with a question. Hello, Michael. Is this where I ask a question for possible answer on the weekly Astro Report? Love all that you do and have learned so much. My question is, if a person has their ascendant at the exact 28th degree of a sign, should the ascendant be considered that sign or should it be considered the next one? Thank you so much, Jennifer. So I'll start with just the answer. The question is no, there's no consideration of some other sign when something, a planet or a point is in a sign. So if someone's ascendant is 28th, the 28th degree would be actually 27 degrees and some minutes. So if your ascendant is at 27 degrees and a couple of minutes of a sign, that's your rising sign. So that someone would even ask this question has got to come from the idea that a lot of people sort of are in, you know, a mistaken notion about, which is that there's this thing called cusp. That if you are born towards the end of the sun being in a certain sign, that that means you're on the cusp of the next sign coming. Like the idea that if your sun is at 26 or 27 or 28 degrees of a sign, that you are both that sign and a little bit the sign that's coming. Well, that's nonsense. That is not astrology, not good astrology at all, and doesn't connect to any astrological principle. 
But it does connect to the newspaper industry creating horoscopes in the 1930s through the 1950s, where by the end of that time, every newspaper in the world had an astrology column. And those columns were driven by sun sign consciousness. In other words, some astrologer told some newspaper in the UK in the 30s when they decided to do this, well, we could talk about someone's sun sign or star sign because that goes with what day they were born. Their birthday will tell us what sign a sun is in. So somehow in presenting these, you know, daily horoscopes of what sign you're in, the idea of cusp was born. Now, partially this is because the sun will change signs on a given day. I was born on August 23rd, 1963. The morning of that day, the sun was in Virgo. That, that afternoon, uh, early evening, Eastern time, the sun moved into Leo. But I'm a Leo's son. I was born with the sun at the very last degree of Leo. There's nothing Virgin, Virgo in about my sun sign. There's no such thing as cusp. The newspapers created that to help someone who was born when the sun changes signs to sort of justify the idea that a newspaper column with a grid of when you were born declaring what sun sign you are can't actually be accurate on the day that the sun changes signs, which, by the way, doesn't happen with any kind of consistency, which means, you know, the start of a sign can happen on, the, on a different day. Some days the mansion changes on the 20th or the 21st or the 22nd or even the 23rd of the month. So, Jennifer, you probably have this idea of cusp that isn't good astrology, and you're applying it to the rising sign. So... For all of you out there, the answer to the question is, nope, what your rising sign is, is your rising sign. And that cusp is not a thing. And if you think of yourself as being on the cusp, stop that. Your sun is where your sun is, not where it's going. So if you tuned in last week, you know that this past week, over the weekend, uh, an amazing, enormous change happened with the sun coming together with Pluto on Friday and then Saturday, both of them moving into Aquarius together. That certainly would have made last week and the weekend kind of intense. I know it was for me. But one of the reasons why I want to talk about this again is I've been seeing a lot of memes online talking about this ingress of Pluto into Aquarius as like the moment of Pluto's traversing Aquarius for the next 20 years. When in fact, Pluto's going to retrograde, turn around and go back into Capricorn in the fall. September 2nd, Pluto will have gone retrograde in May. By the time we get to the beginning of September, he will backtrack into the last degree of Capricorn, stay there for a little bit, and it's on November 20th, many months from now, that Pluto will actually be moving into Aquarius, kicking off the 20-year traverse of Pluto in that sign. So why I'm pointing this out is, is that the memes I've been seeing have been talking about Pluto's movement into Aquarius in a permanent way as the energy of the, of the month, but it's not really accurate when we know that Pluto is not done with this two-year process of backtracking between the two signs. So 
let's anthropomorphize Pluto in this. And so we, we decide that the divine, the existence itself in the universe tells Pluto, hey, lots of changes on planet Earth. We're shifting the gear from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius. There's a lot going on there. We got to destroy the old structures and the Capricornian sort of way. We got to generate wild advances in technology and uh, community connection in the Aquarian way. But we're going to traverse both signs so that the net experience isn't 20 years of Pluto in Aquarius, get ready. The experience is Pluto moving back and forth. So just like in 2023, where the year was about the destruction of the old and the creation of the new, 2024 is going to be very similar because even though Pluto has changed signs, he's backtracking into Capricorn again. And then in November, we can talk about the next 20 years. Venus is changing signs this week, and that's a big sort of piece of energetic news. On Tuesday, the planet of love and the emotional body and how we process intimacy how we relate to our finances is going to cross the threshold between Sagittarius and Capricorn. This is a very dynamic change when we move from what's called mutable fire to cardinal earth. So when Venus is in Sagittarius, we're all stimulation-oriented. Venus is our sort of feeling body, right? So what we are emotionally drawn to is a function of where Venus is. And in Sagittarius, it's all about the idea of Sag the archer shooting his arrows into just about everything. And so our hearts will want that too. So Venus and Sag has been very connected to expansion, growth, travel, all of the Sagittarius sensibilities of exploring and growing because we're learning. Well, we're now in the new year. The sun is no longer in Capricorn, so our conscious awareness isn't focused the way it had been on the year ahead or what our ambitions are for 2024. But with Venus entering Capricorn, now we've got Mars, Mercury, and Venus, all three of the personal planets in the same sign. So Venus in Capricorn is about focus and discipline and goals and getting it done. So when our emotional body is in Capricorn, then our feelings guide us naturally towards what we want to accomplish. Because Mars is there and he loves it in this sign, we get to start the year with a kind of discipline and focus in our decision-making and how we do things and make goals become, you know, go from idea to, to manifested form. Mars in Capricorn is like the perfect placement for that. Because Mercury is in Capricorn, that means our minds and our bodies are in congruency. We're thinking about what we're doing in a, in a way that's aligned. Now, with Venus moving into Capricorn, we add the emotional body's connection to what we want to accomplish in that slow, steady kind of way that Capricorn brings. Venus will spend about three weeks or so uh, in Capricorn for the rest of the month. And the first two weeks of February, we are 
aligning our emotional body with our desires in the outside world of form. And this should be helpful to all of us as we seek to create new things for the year ahead, because now we've got this sort of uber congruency with Mars, Mercury, and Venus all in the same sign. So our actions and decision-making, how we make those decisions and perceive what we're doing, and how we feel about what we're up to all get governed by the Capricorn desire to get to the top of the mountain of our goals and ambitions. In the spirit of Venus overview that I've been doing every week since her busyness last year in retrogrades and eclipse seasons, it's an interesting weekend, Friday and Saturday, around matters of the heart. It starts with a bump up against unexpected things coming your way quite suddenly uh, in matters of the heart. Venus, Seska Square, Uranus on Friday is a dust-up between things that are important to us in our feeling body and our relationship experience and the sudden unexpected ways that shit goes down. The Seska Square is weak geometry, but when Uranus is engaged with it, 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 we're talking about the, well, the nature of the Seska Square is frustration and bother, and the nature of Uranus is sudden and unexpected. So if you combine frustration and bother, even if it's mild, you add the sudden and unexpected, and you can be assured that as we approach the weekend, if there are bumps to be had in your relational experience, they will show up on Friday. And then when we get to Saturday, Venus is sextiling Saturn and trining Jupiter. That's yummy. That's Venus slowing down enough to be discerning about what's right. Venus sextile Saturn keeps us sort of focused on the important, the responsibility stuff, and aligning our hearts with what we have to do. The trine with Jupiter is all about what we get to do, right? We get the have to and the get to in one sort of uh, uh, weekend mechanism where Venus trine Jupiter is about expansion and possibility and love and luck and good fortune and like a party of anything is possible because love and expansion are dancing with each other or singing in harmony. And then the sextile of Saturn just sort of brings the stability so that even if we get a little over the top with Venus trining Jupiter, Venus sextiling Saturn keeps it all very right-sized. So Saturday promises to be beautifully expansive in matters of the heart, but there might be a bump on Friday that you fix on Saturday. So just be on the lookout for that. Thursday, we have the first full moon of 2024. That's right. The sun has moved into Aquarius along with Pluto. So that's important to start with how we perceive this important full moon. Important not only because it's the first one of the year, but important because the sun and Pluto have just come together by conjunction. And even in the solar transit notion that solar transits influence last about three days, 
and this was five days before the full moon, the fact that the very next thing that energetically happened to the sun after conjuncting with Pluto last week and changing signs with him is the full moon means that this opportunity to release connects directly to stuff we might be more aware of as our conscious awareness, the sun, met up with the lord of the underworld, Pluto, had a little congress last week and said, all right, we know what the marching orders are. Let's together cross over into the Aquarius mansion where we are in fact charged with transforming the planet so that we can embody the age of Aquarius more fully. So what that means for us personally, I think, is a deep and intense full moon release that is all about your gifts and talents at the personal level, how you know them and steward them and then use them to serve the planet by sharing your gifts. Leo is all about that. That's what Leo invented. Leo invented personal power, confidence and optimism about self, and a sense of like me first. Not me first in the Aries way, which is just like me first out of sort of a lower level of involvement. We got to start with the I am and Aries says me first. And that's, that, that's, a, that's a me first from a, like a low rent place of if I arrive, then it's me first. <laughs> Leo is the me first from a more evolved place. And, and which is of course why the shadow of Leo is, you know, arrogance and grandiosity. But it's also where we learn how to be personally creative and then have the desire to, to the extent that this makes sense for you as an individual, stand center stage saying, I am worthy of sharing these gifts with the planet. So in a very general way, Leo full moon allows us on the celebration side or the harvest, the benefit side, uh, a real moment of inventory around how magnificently you have stepped up into knowing who you are, knowing what your gifts are, and sharing them with the world. So then what will we be releasing in a Leo full moon? Well, for one thing, anything that inhibits your ability to serve the collective because perhaps your focus is too on self, right? So it's like we want to have a balance between I know my gifts and I'll stand front and center, but I got to know my sort of humility as well. So I guess I'm talking to myself here, you know, as a Leo son, I know a lot about softening the, the self-focus with big doses of humility. And so if that sounds like your story a little bit, a Leo full moon is always going to invite you to release elements of self-focus so that you can more effectively see the community that you are here to serve. Now, if your story seems like the other side of a Leonian narrative, where you are not stepping up fully and powerfully, where confidence has you, or lack of confidence has you hindered, or where you kind of know your gifts, but there's still the shadow of unworthiness and imposter syndrome driving you so that you're not stepping up as fully. Now then, this is your full moon to release 
any inhibitions of saying, I know who I am, I know what my gifts and talents are, and I offer them to the world ready to receive. Now, because Pluto is participating directly in this full moon by being five degrees away from Pluto, the lord of the underworld, the release mechanism of this full moon is like utter. (laughs) It's like death, rebirth level of releases. So that gravitas and power of Pluto is right there in our conscious awareness. So we're going to be more consciously aware of that which needs to be released and dropped. That will be helpful to us all. That said, I think we can expect some intensity as we move through the end of the week because this full moon does have a kind of promise of, well, big death. And we know that all deaths are followed by rebirth, so big death slash rebirth. Now, when we're looking to sort of decide how bumpy and and crazy a full moon might be, we got to take into consideration Uranus as well. And Uranus over in Taurus has the capacity to really knock us off balance, even if we're feeling solid and stable. Taurus is the stability sign. It's like Taurus tells us we're here, we're on Earth, and we're safe. And so Uranus, that changes things radically fast in Taurus, has made the stable unstable for the last sort of decade or so. And because you've got Mars and Mercury and Venus in Capricorn, there's a trine in this full moon between Mars and Mercury and Uranus. Venus is still only at like three degrees of Cap during the full moon. So she's not close enough to be involved directly in the trine that's being set up. But she's, she's in the room. She knows it's happening, right? So our bodies and decision-making, Mars, our perception, thinking, communication, Mercury, and a little bit the emotional body are all in harmonious geometry with the Great Awakener where anything can happen and probably will. So now when you add that zingy possibility that new shit could come out of nowhere and knock you on your ass a bit, at a moment where we have a full moon where the Lord of the Underworld is hanging out with the sun, we're definitely talking about a rather intense full moon possibility. I'll point out that Uranus in Taurus is still holding the great eliminator angle with the south node in Libra. Pretty close to exact, less than a degree off during the full moon. The south node holds the past until we're ready to let go of it. You know, you see that thing and you're like, I know I need to throw this away, but I'm just going to put it on the shelf for a minute. (laughs) That shelf is the south node. And what's also in the South Node is past stuff that maybe we've been trying to release for a lifetime. And every time we get into a full moon, we get another opportunity to scrape away at things that we're trying to release. But having Uranus, the sudden amplifier of consciousness, holding the great eliminator angle with the South Node, 
then the whole end of last year, beginning of this year, features ways in which we're all continually dropping old shit so that we can move more powerfully. And this full moon having that transit exact in it makes it an even more powerful sort of likelihood that some stuff's going to end during this lunar cycle and possibly very suddenly. Now, remember the Venus overview that I just gave you. Because those transits lead us right into the full moon. So that means that even though I've just set you up to be perceiving the full moon as like something to potentially be, you know, a little anticipatory of and perhaps frightened, understand that our emotional bodies though perhaps a little triggered by Uranus, bringing us some sudden and unexpected stuff the day after the full moon on Friday, Venus is moving into two days after the full moon, those beautiful transits sextiling Saturn and trining Jupiter. The expanded possibility of things can be amazing with Venus trining Jupiter and even if I'm feeling like there's stuff I gotta like, you know, respond to lesson wise, it's stable and 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 easy to do that with Venus sextiling uh, Saturn. So those energies, though they don't peak until the day after and the following day, the full moon, they are in the full moon sensibility. When in doubt, lean into your heart, maybe put a hand on your heart, one on your belly. Take a big deep breath and say to yourself, I am willing to let everything that needs to be released at this time to be taken or dropped, known and unknown, conscious and unconscious, that would hinder me from knowing my gifts and sharing them willingly with a world that needs me to be of profound service. I do this willingly and with an open heart and trust that we will be guided into the next iteration of who we are to be. And so it is. Have at it. Did you know that Michael has a daily astro alert? If you enjoy hearing the weekly astrology, you might like knowing more about each day. When you subscribe for the daily astro alerts, you'll get an in-depth explanation of the day's astrology sent right to your email. Subscriptions are only $10 a month, or you can purchase the yearly subscription at the reduced price of $100. To subscribe, head over to michaelenix.com. All right, it's dream segment time. Every week, Dr. Michael will interpret dreams that are sent in via email or take a live caller. If you would like your dream interpreted on the podcast, you can go ahead and email us at dreams at Hopefully your dream will make it onto the show. This dream email is a question, kind of. 
So Rachel writes in, the flavor when my alarm went off this morning was completely different than waking up from a dream. Absolutely devoid of symbology or allegory or the hazy feeling of dreaming. It was straight up defragmenting my brain's hard drive. Hmm. Then she writes, processing versus dreaming, a documentary versus a night at the ballet. <laughs> Is there a difference in brain activity between dreaming and processing? I've been making good progress calming my nervous system. Remember, I was the one who emailed you in a panic during March about a dream that I put a kitten in the dryer and I looked at myself <laughs> horrified in the mirror. Since that. then, my dreams, this is in air quotes, <laughs> mm. if they can be called that, are sometimes much more literal. Waking up to realizations instead of imagery, the difference in texture is as significant as the difference between a regular dream and a lucid dream. Is there a third wow. type of dreaming? Are there yeah. different parts wow. of the brain that are firing? Are there different types of dreams too? She attaches her chart, which we're obviously not going to get into. But, um, yeah, then she ends with a thanks. Wow, fascinating. Fascinating, fascinating question. I mean, talk about revealing my inadequacies, too. Like, because, man, we are above my pay grade. Okay. <laughs> but we're not above my ability to speak into it. Got it. Right? But I'll qualify certain things along the way. So, for example, like... I haven't thought about brain structure since I was in grad school 25 years ago. So it's like, yes, yes, but I don't know. Like, okay. um, so I can't speak scientifically into things about the brain. Though I will say this, as I've said many times, when talking about dreams and the brain and like, for example, why we think we're going to remember a dream forever when we wake up in the middle of the night and then we can't. Mm. And part of why that is, is because dreams are visual. We are visual creatures when we are awake. Mm. But the visual cortex that perceives stuff through the eye experience is a different part of the brain. It's asleep when we are asleep because our eyes are closed. We're not using them. Yeah. So we're receiving visual data from a different part of the brain. So you can wake up from a dream and because it's visual... You'll have a, oh, I know this experience. I am visualizing something that I will never forget. Mm. But we do because it's a different part of the brain that experiences the imagery. In fact, what I'd say is the visual cortex is locally uh, locally found in the brain and that dream pro dream imagery comes from many different portions of the brain being connected which is why in REM sleep, the prefrontal cortex is chaotic and lit up and why we are paralyzed while we're dreaming so we don't hurt ourselves responding to the neofrontal cortex. So the idea that different parts of the brain are operating is a thing. And then we'll just sort of leave that over here. That's a thing. Okay. Another thing that I'll say is that I, again, can't speak to this as a neuroscientist might be able to one of the things that happens when we wake up is our brains fire on into waking life in a in a in what is ultimately a freaking miracle <laughs> that 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 happens it's like we are born every morning when we wake up we are born anew and the brain fires on in a way that it was sort of air quotes off while we are sleeping 
So as such, the state between sleeping and waking is one of the richest states there is. It's called the hypnagogic state often is what it's referred to. And you can even hear in that word the root of hypnosis, right? Yeah. So we're in this fuzzy, half-conscious place when we're in between sleeping and waking. And in that state, many things are possible in the direction of perception, problem-solving, being inspired. I just wrote a book on, on mystical dreams, a shameless plug. Psychic Dreamer came out on January 8th. If you haven't gotten it, go order yeah. it. And one of the things we talk about in Psychic Dreamer is problem-solving dreams. There are people who have created stuff out of this state. Mm. It is said that, that Thomas Edison used to take naps in a chair holding objects like rocks or marbles. And so that would allow him to sort of drift off into sleep. But the moment he met sleep, he would open his hands and drop the marbles, which would wake him up. And this would keep him in that hypnagogic state, which he knew to be fertile with perception. Mm. So right there, I've just said a bunch of things that aren't coming exactly from mastery or like I know how the brain works in a way that I can convey why this is so. The fact is that when our brains are firing on and we're in that hypnagogic state, it is possible to connect to wild ways that we process information, contextualize our inner life tap into material that might be available through multidimensional perception that we definitely connect to in the dream state, that window is half open while we're waking up. And so, yeah, I mean, Rachel, have freaking at it, but I can't necessarily give you any, like, truths behind it from a scientific perspective. And part of my challenge and blessing in my life is that I call myself half scientist, half mystic. Mm. And because I consider myself both, I can't answer Rachel's questions from a mystical perspective where I'll say a lot of woo-woo bullshit language that talks about everything that I just talked about. Like, it's like, like don't think that there's a woo-woo way to perceive it or explain it. But I have to sit in both seats at the same time, right? So that's why I have to say the brain structure is behind this, though I can't tell you how or why. Mm. And then, then I can point to things that I do know or experiences that I've researched about people who, you know, have solved problems or, you know, Larry, what's his face, created Google because he had a dream about organizing data from college stuff. Wow. Like what, what it would be if I could look shit up. Yeah. Like he had a dream that turned into Google. I'm forgetting some of the other examples that I might have either researched for the book or written into the book. But safe to say that what Rachel is experiencing is a bona fide human experience. I don't think that every pedestrian is likely to experience this. I think it's the realm of just a few. I've paid attention to my dreams and my dream life and my spiritual exploration for 60 years. I've never had such an experience. Mm -hmm. But I've heard of people describing really exactly what Rachel is describing. And, and so I come up with a, a term that refers to things that happen while we're sleeping that are like dreams but not dreams. We call them a dream experience. I love the image, the, the, the uh, defragmenting the hard drive. 
That that might be if if you know what defragmenting is. It's sort of when the hard drive examines itself and then sort of structures it better, <laughs> organizes things in there. And and maybe we're doing that every morning when we wake up. We're reorganizing our brain to meet the new day. For sure, this is something that occurs.、Mm. We are smarter and wiser on a Tuesday than we are on a Monday, and it's because we go to sleep and we dream. We process stuff in our unconscious in those dream states, and I believe it's very possible that what Rachel is describing being aware of is something that we all experience in a way that we aren't necessarily going to be made aware of. But that when we wake up, the brain is defragmenting, and it's taking the new wisdom from that Monday, incorporating it into short-term memory and new smarts overnight, so that on a Tuesday we're better at being human than we were on that Monday. And Rachel is being given the the gift and blessing, if you can call it that, of perceiving that state. And my. Suggestion or recommendation, Rachel, is I would I would follow this. I would nurture this. I would let yourself stay in bed longer and sort of enjoy the state and see if there's more perception available for you into this hypnagogic state. Because I suspect that there is. Thank you for listening to Conscious Embodiment: Astrology and Dreams with Dr. Michael Lennox. You can find us on Apple Music, the iHeartRadio app, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. Head on over to michaellennox.com for information on astrology readings, the daily Astro Alert subscription, upcoming classes, and to join the mailing list.